Welcome to Living Love, the radio broadcast ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Benton, Illinois. Our desire is to live love to God, to others, and the nations. We hope this week's broadcast will bless and encourage you. Now, let's dive into God's Word and see how we can live love today. Last couple of weeks, we have um, been in a new sermon series entitled Next. That word next uh, has a couple implications. We've, um, there's the, the implication of what's next for our local body of believers as we, as, as we come together as a, as a unified um, group of Christ followers. What, what does God have for us next? And so we have to ask ourselves, what's our next step? And if you are not a follower of Jesus, um, your next step has already been predetermined. Your next step is to follow Jesus. We want to see you get involved in group life. We want to see you serve the local church. But your greatest need, your, the needful step in your life is to follow after him. That's your next step. And if you are a follower of Jesus, maybe um, your story is similar to Brent's. You've given your life to Christ, but you haven't taken that next natural step in the life of believer and followed through with believer's baptism. Man, we would love for you to take that next step, and we'd love to have that conversation with you. But for others, you, you have a step. If you're a living, living breathing person, follower of Jesus, you, you have steps to take that might be continued involvement in group life, finding yourself serving in the local body. Um, for some of you, the most difficult next step that you might be called to is to walk across your street and to engage with a neighbor that has maybe been your neighbor for decades and to just ask them, hey, are you following after Jesus? What do you think it takes for a person to go to heaven? And for some of us, that might be the most terrifying next step we can imagine. But I believe that God will empower us through those and so as we've, as we've found ourselves talking about what is next, next collectively, but next also next individually, we've been doing so with this backdrop of a vision that God has for us as a church of carrying out the motivation of loving him and others and the mission of making disciples of how do we, how do we plan to do that. And it's this, at Emmanuel Baptist Church, our vision is to make mature and multiply followers of Jesus as we live love for God and others. Some of you are like, Kirk, when are you going to put, quit putting that slide up there? The moment that you all start repeating it with me when I say it. <laughs> and then the next week, I'll put it up there again anyway. But that M3, that's kind of our conversation starter. When people say, hey, Hey, what, what, what are you about? What, what, like, why do you go to church on Sunday mornings? Well, there's some, been something radical that has happened in my life, and I want to help make mature and multiply followers of Jesus because I love God and because I love you. And that is our conversation. And so as we continue in this journey with making, maturing, and multiplying followers of Jesus as our backdrop, where we go forward to now is, hey, what? What are those things that we value or what are some things that we either already do value or we should value as a local body of believers as we carry out the vision, the mission that God has given to our church? If you've ever been part of a, um, any kind of organization before or paid attention when you walk around the schools in which you are, you can usually look on walls and you can see the vision and the values that you're organization holds in high esteem. 
when I was when I was in the army for two years, I was a basic training chaplain. And when you get new soldiers, that's the wrong term. When you get new civilians into the military, they they bring with them their own values. But the military would say, we don't need your values, you need our values. And so for those first eight weeks, known as I hate my life, (laughs) civilians go through a period of training. It starts in red phase, and it's red for a reason. To my educators in the room, um, you have been wrongly instructed to quit grading papers in red ink. Now bring back the red. I had professors in college that they would break entire vials of red ink on my paper and it was just everywhere. You know, we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. No, it's red phase was red for a reason. It was, it was stressful. It was difficult. It was um, punishment would be the wrong word. There were opportunities for group correction. And so for eight weeks, these civilians started learning what it meant to be in the military. And then they qualified on their, their weapon that they were carrying, usually, usually either an M16 or an M4. And then the end of that eight weeks was what was called just kind of a capstone event. They would go out to the field and they would, they would um, put into practice all these things that they've been learning. And the, the culminating event of that capstone weekend was they would participate was called Nick at Night. They would, they would be at one end of a long field that had um, razor wire and all kinds of trenches and it was always wet and muddy and they would have to low crawl for about a hundred yards as ordnance would go off around them and people would live fire rounds over the top of their heads and way over the top of their heads. And they would get to the end of that Having accomplished something pretty great, they would be, they would be um, lined up in formation and they would walk down to a bonfire that was already raging. And at that bonfire, they would participate in what was called a values tag ceremony. And soldiers had, who had been previously identified would stand up and they would go through the army values, which were loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service, honor, integrity, and personal courage. And they would talk about what those values are because for eight weeks they learned that the values that they might have brought into the organization weren't the right values, but now the military was able to give them values that would bring them together, that made them one people, that kept them on mission for carrying out the mission of the military. And with tears streaming down their faces, they would have those values placed in their hands as they were now not called civilians, but they were called soldiers. Well, church at Emmanuel Baptist Church, we have a vision, which is to make mature and multiply followers of Jesus. And there are values that we carry with us as we carry out that vision. This morning, we're going to dip into one of those values, and we're going to let Acts chapter 2 be our launching pad. So if you have a Bible, and I hope that you do, turn with me to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 42. And for the next four weeks, we're going to be in this passage, kind of unpacking some of the values that rise to the surface as we read this passage. And some of those values are alive and well at Emmanuel. All of these values are things that I believe we should value as we carry out this vision of seeing people that step out of the darkness and into the light. And so Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse number 42, and it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. 
and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This morning, the first value that we're going to unpack is the value of scriptural integrity. The value of scriptural integrity. And if we were to have a leading value, this would need to be the leading value. We do not, we are not or should not be in the business of making up on our own the things we think are right and true. Instead, as followers of Jesus, our truth is not the truth. God's truth is the truth. And the way that we know God's truth is through his word And aren't you thankful that God has given us a document that reveals to us who he is? See, the Bible is not a story about me. The Bible is the story about God. But I'm thankful that I get to be a part of that story. And so the value that we lead with is that of scriptural integrity. We want to remain true to the word that we have in front of us. And it's the word that we teach. It says in verse number 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What was it that they taught? They did not teach their own ideas. No, they taught the things of God. So this morning we ask ourselves this question. Why do we value or why should we value scriptural integrity? I believe we should. One of the reasons why we should value or why we do value scriptural integrity is is really kind of an easy one. You see, scriptural integrity mattered to Jesus. Scriptural integrity mattered to Jesus. Jesus was about one truth, and that was the Father's truth. If you were to take all the things that Jesus said... And you were to, to compile those, it's estimated that about one-tenth of all of Jesus' recorded words were from the Old Testament, whether direct quotations or even just ideas in general. Here are some of the things that come out as Jesus would speak. He talked about the creation of Adam. He talked about the murder of Abel. He referenced the, corrupt, the corruption of Noah's day and the flood. He talked about the corruption of Lot's day and the fire, the worldliness of Lot's wife, the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He talked about Moses and the burning bush, the heavenly manna that God provided, the brazen serpent. He talked a lot about David, and he mentioned Solomon and the queen of Sheba, Elijah and the widow and the famine that were part of that story, Naaman and his leprosy, the murder of Zechariah, Daniel and his um, and his talks about end times. We, Jesus mentioned Jonah and the fish and the need for repentance by the Ninevites. You see, Jesus, even though he spoke with the authority of God, also pointed people back to the consistent story that God had always given, that there were people in desperate need of something because there's something separated them from God. But God, in his wisdom and out of his love, provided a way through that. And it was none other than Jesus who was speaking the words. Jesus referenced the Bible, the scripture, 
as authoritative, but he also wanted to make sure that the Bible, the scripture that had been written, the meaning mattered behind his words. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, we have the greatest story ever preached, the story of Jesus that we like to refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. And there's a couple times in that sermon to where Jesus would make a statement, hey, you've heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, but I say. If, if we were to take Matthew 5 through 7 and kind of boil it down, Jesus wasn't just concerned with the outward actions of people. He was more concerned with their heart. And who is able to look at the heart of man? None other than God himself. See, we can trick people with our actions, but Jesus was able to see the heart. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22, he started out by saying, Hey, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. That's a reference to Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. He said, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Which is harder to just keep from killing someone or to live a life where anger has not so overwhelmed you towards others that it leads you down a path of destruction. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28, he said, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, a reference to Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. He said, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart, which is easier to avoid the act of adultery or the sinful heart of adultery. Now, Jesus was concerned with the inner workings of a person, not just the exterior. And as we saw in our, in our study of the book of Mark, as we walked through just that 30,000 foot view of Jesus and his interactions with others as he was on the move. Remember, there were so many times where Jesus had kind of contentious conversations with the religious leaders of that day. They had created a system that benefited them, but was far from the religious, spiritual freedom that they could find in God. Jesus was constantly countering the establishment that had weaponized God's word for their personal gain. Now to Jesus, the meaning mattered. Why do we value scriptural integrity at Emmanuel Baptist Church. It's because Jesus did. And we could probably stop there. We're not going to. I have some more notes. But really, it'd be good enough if it was good enough for Jesus. But I think there's even a greater body of work that we look at about why we should value scriptural integrity. Yes, scriptural integrity mattered to Jesus, but we also see that the earliest followers valued scriptural integrity as well. We just read Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47, but we don't have to go very far to find the importance of scripture in the conversation of those who are following after Jesus. In fact, we have to just go a few verses back you see, Acts chapter 2 tells that incredible story of the day of Pentecost where the disciples, the apostles, those following after Jesus, members of that early church were waiting, waiting for Jesus to do what he said he was going to do. He said, hey, listen, go back to Jerusalem and just wait. I'm going to send a helper. Well, the helper came, and as those tongues of fire rested on the mouths of those who were followers of Jesus, people started to wonder what all was going on. And so Peter stood up and began to speak. And he didn't use his own words, but he used the words of the Lord. In chapter 2, verse 17, he 
relayed the words found in Joel chapter 2. It said, in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Then over to verse number 25, he referenced King David, where he says, For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. In a moment of question, Peter didn't stand up and give people himself. No, he gave people God. And he gave people the truth of God through the word that had already been given. See, church, you and I, on our own, we have no power. The things that we can concoct on our own will always pale in comparison to the plans of God. If Peter had stood up and opined from his own position of authority, the message would have fallen flat. But what did he give them? He gave them God. And what was the result? 3,000 people got saved that day. And they got baptized. I'm in a ballpark that it took more than 60 minutes. And go figure, all those people looking at their watches going, KFC's going to run out of chicken. Why do we value scriptural integrity? Scriptural integrity mattered to Jesus. But then his followers carried that on and they valued scriptural integrity. The last thing I want to share this morning when it comes to why do we value, why should we value scriptural integrity, it's because this, the Bible's meaning matters. It matters what the Bible means. And we should pursue knowing what the Bible means. And why should we do that? Because the Bible tells us about who? About King Jesus. If you have your Bibles open, we're doing quite a bit of running around Scripture today. Turn over to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 16. I'm going to read 16, then I'm going to hop down to verse number 19. But I want you to hear some of the great words that Peter wrote. Peter, who, by the way, walked with Jesus. He starts out by saying this, Hey, for we do not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He starts out by saying this, Hey, we're not giving you cute little sayings that we've come up with in our own mind. No, instead what we are giving to you are the very things that we saw happen right in front of our faces. Because what God has is always better than what we have. He goes on in verse number 19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Why, why, does, why is it important that the Bible matter, that the Bible's meaning matter to us? Is because it tells us the story of God and in order to know the story of God, we must spend time learning the story of God. 
He goes on to say in verse number 20, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And when we come in here on a Sunday morning and we open up God's word, please know this, we are not reading the words of men, but we are reading the words of God. If they were just the words of men, church, they they would fall flat. But the prophetic word that we have in front of us was not conjured up by a group of dudes sitting in a room, but instead was God-inspired, spoken from God to men as they carried along by the Holy Spirit. What God's word says and what God's word means should matter to us. And if we have a low view of Scripture, we will set aside things that we find in this book when it doesn't mesh with who we want to be. But if we value scriptural integrity, we'll recognize that God's authority is shared with us through His Word, and so our words should be His words. Why do we value, why should we value scriptural integrity? Number one, it mattered to Jesus. Number two, those early followers of Christ valued scriptural integrity. And if we value scriptural integrity, then the Bible's meaning will continue to matter. And it will matter to you, and it will matter to me. So let me give you a few takeaways, a few practical takeaways this morning. One is this. I want want to share a couple of statements that I hear in conversation with others that cause me concern, and so I throw them out there as a warning. One is this. Sometimes people will make a statement, and they'll make a statement, and they'll start like this. Yeah, well, the God that I believe in. And then they'll finish the sentence. Can I just be real transparent with you? The Bible that I, the God that I can conjure up in my head isn't a God worth following. See, the God that I create, the God that I create because I want to believe in that kind of God, holds to the same limits that my brain creates. I don't want to believe in a God that I can create. I want to believe in a one true God. And there are people that will make the statement of, yeah, well, the God that I believe in. And usually it is a statement that is driven, driven by something emotive in their life because of something that happens. And they go, well, yeah, that happened, but the God that I believe in believes in or says this. It just, it just doesn't matter that we create a God in our own minds. What matters is that we serve a God who is real and actually exists. And I'm here to tell you, church, there's only one true God. So that's one. Here's another one. It's kind of like it. I think sometimes people will make a statement like this, and you might have done this before. So if your Bible study, maybe sometimes your Bible study does this, and just stop. No, I'm just... I'm just it's, it's going to be okay. We're all in this together. Sometimes we'll sit in a Bible study and we'll read a passage of Scripture. And if we're not careful, we'll do this. We'll go around the room 
And we'll say something like, hey, Greg, what did this, what did this, what did this passage mean to you? Hey, Luke, what did this passage mean to you? Hey, hey Barry, what did this passage mean to you? This is a men's Bible study, by the way. <laughs> hey, hey, Richard, what did, this, what did this passage mean to you? And can I, can I be very honest? I don't care what it means to you. I don't care what it means to me. I care what it means. What did it mean to, what does it mean to God? Because if we're not careful and we, we have this approach of, well, hey, here's what the Bible means to me. Now it is my opinion placed upon the word of God. When in all reality, sometimes I will have an opinion that runs contrary to God. So if there's my opinion and we'll call it God's opinion, whose is right? It's always going to be God. By the way, God doesn't have opinions. Well, if he does, they're always right, which would make them not opinions. It would just make it truth. And it is important that we sit around and go, hey, as you read this passage, what do you see it saying? That's so important. But the goal at the end of the day is not, here's what it means to me and here's what it means to you. No, it's what does it mean? Because if we have a high view of God's word, then we will spend a lifetime pursuing its truth because I want to know God. Now, does it mean every time you read the Bible, you're going to understand what it means? Anybody willing to confess you read the Bible sometimes and you don't understand what it means? Thank you to the 15 honest people in the room. The rest of you are in the Revelation 28, 21-8 category. I'm just kidding. Some of you are like, I don't know what that is. It's a youth song that we love to sing. Some of y'all are going to, you're turning right now. I've lost you. That's fine. <laughs> hey, avoid some of those. That's not the clip this week. That's Luke. That's not the, that's not the clip this week. I'm sorry. I had to do something. That'd be the one he'd pick. No, it's, here, here's the, Luke is, Luke and I are going to have a fun conversation. That's so good. Now, I, 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 I want us to be careful. I don't want us to say things like, hey, listen, the God that I believe in, because we get ourselves in trouble. I want us to avoid saying, well, here's what the Bible means to me. No, I want to know what the Bible means to God. And if it's good enough for God, it's good enough for me. Even if it's hard to swallow, it's good enough. There's one final thing, one final takeaway and this is a warning that I have fallen short of. But please know this, when it comes to scriptural integrity, the Bible isn't here as a weapon for us to win an argument. That's not why the Bible exists. Now it shares truth. And when the Bible says thus, the Bible says thus. But that is not, as, that is not meant as a weapon for me to win an argument. That's not why we have the Bible. Why do we have truth in front of us? So we can know where we fall short. But praise be to God, in the midst of all us falling short, God provided a way. See, the Bible isn't a weapon that is here for us to win argument. Instead, it is our source document for the very truth that will set people free. And this is the truth. That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single person. 
No one gets to stand before God someday and say, I'm so glad I get to come into heaven because I wasn't a sinner. You know, you can get to heaven without placing your faith in Jesus as long as you're perfect. But you have this problem. You're a human, which means you're not perfect. That's my problem. Sin separates me from God. And if that was the story, that would not be good news. But it is good news. For while the wages of sin is death, while I deserve separation from God, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's not a weapon to win an argument. That is truth that will set people free. And I thank God that he has set me free from my sin. And I want you to know today that you can be set free as well. If you haven't trusted in Jesus, today you can trust in Jesus. You can walk the path that Brent walked, where he was walking his own path and realized, man, I can't fix myself, but there's someone who can, and his name is Jesus. Will you let Jesus fix you today? We are going to value scriptural integrity at Emmanuel. It mattered to Jesus. The earliest of followers valued the word of God And we should also, because it matters what the Bible means. Because the Bible tells us the greatest story ever told. It tells us about him. Thank you for joining us for this week's broadcast of Living Love. If this message has impacted you in any way, please let us know. If you would like to contact us, find out more about our church, Or if you'd like to support our mission, visit ibcbenton.com. That's ibcbenton.com.